The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, guys. I'm Ray Bella, and this is Words for Granted a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you love the show, you can become a contributor at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. For just a buck a month, which is less than what we all pay for bad cups of coffee, you'll gain access to contributors-only bonus episodes. The latest bonus episode explores the etymology of Britain. If you contribute a little more, I'll even send you your own Words for Granted mug. If Patreon's not your thing, but you'd still like to help keep the show on the road, you can make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Michael, Christine, Bill, and Guillaume for their recent contributions. All right, let's get on to today's episode, part six in a series on proper place names. In the last episode in this series, I bent the rules of the theme a little bit. We looked at the etymology of the country Turkey, but it was really an excuse to discuss the complicated etymology of the bird of the same name. For those of you who may have missed it, the names of Turkey the country and Turkey the bird are indeed related. In this episode, I'll also be bending the rules a little bit. We'll not only be looking at the etymology of France, as the title suggests, but we'll also be looking at words that derive from the same etymological source. These are common words that are part of our everyday language that, in this modern context, have absolutely nothing to do with France. However, by studying the emergence and evolution of the French state, we'll be able to understand how these words fit into that story. For better or for worse, the first half of this episode is going to be heavy on history, so there's your warning. So let's start with a brief history of France itself. Actually, let's start with a brief history of France before it was called France. Before France was France, it was called Gaul. Etymologically, the story of Gaul has nothing to do with the story of France, but in order to understand the context in which the name of France emerged, I think it's also important to understand the etymology and history of the place name it subverted. Now, right off the bat, I should say that the region of modern France isn't exactly identical to Gaul. It's more accurate to say that modern France is part of the ancient region once called Gaul. Technically, Gaul also included Belgium, most of Switzerland, a portion of northern Italy, and parts of Germany and the Netherlands east of the Rhine River. However, the vast majority of the territory once referred to as Gaul now belongs to France, So, as a matter of convenience, we can speak of Gaul as the predecessor of France in a general sense. Originally, Gaul was inhabited by a variety of Celtic tribes. After a successful series of military campaigns led by Julius Caesar in the 50s BCE, called the Gallic Wars, Gaul became a part of the Roman Empire. 
Over the course of roughly five centuries, the Gallic and Roman cultures developed into a hybrid Gallo-Roman culture, and the Gallo-Roman strand of Latin, which would eventually become the basis of Old French, ultimately pushed the native Celtic Gaulish language into extinction. Keeping this basic context in mind, let's take a look at where that word Gaul comes from. In Latin, Gaul was called Gallia, hence the name of the Gallic Wars that I just mentioned. Based on their phonetic similarity, it's pretty safe to assume that the English word Gaul comes from the Latin Gallia, right? That's what I always thought before researching this episode, but as it turns out, the phonetic similarity between the English word Gaul and the Latin word Gallia is a completely superficial coincidence. So let's look into this. The Latin Gallia derives from Galli, a Roman adaptation of the ethnic name by which the Gaulish Celts called themselves. As I've stated in previous episodes of this series, a name by which an ethnic group calls itself is called an endonym. The most widely accepted theory is that the name Galli derives from the common Celtic root word Galno, which meant power or strength. The theory that the Celts from Gallia actually called themselves Galli is reinforced by the Greek word Galatai. Even though Greece was nowhere near Gaul, in the 3rd century BCE, Gaulish people migrated from Western Europe all the way to the Anatolian Peninsula, that is, modern-day Turkey. Since the Latin word Galli and the Greek word Galatai developed completely independently, it's a pretty good indication that these words derive from a single original source, ostensibly the names by which the Gauls called themselves. In Greek, this Anatolian region inhabited by Gauls was called Galatia, or Galatia in English, and the English word for these Galatai is Galatian. For some of you, that word Galatian may be familiar. Epistle to the Galatians, often just called Galatians, is one of the books in the New Testament, and it's literally a letter written by Paul the Apostle to a community of early Christians living in Galatia. From the Roman point of view, Galatia came to be known as the Gallia of the East. A bit of a digression, but interesting nonetheless. Now, what about that word, Gaul? Gaul is a native English word, and recall that it's etymologically unrelated to the very similar-sounding Latin word Gallia that we've just discussed. Well, if you've been keeping up with all of the episodes in this series, then Gaul derives from a familiar root word. That root word is Walha, which we discussed at length in our episode on the etymology of Wales. Walha is a Germanic word, and it literally meant foreigner. If you want to know how that word was applied to Wales, I recommend just listening to that episode, because the story is too long, too complex, and tangential to recount here. Over time, this Germanic word Walha came to be associated not only with foreigners in general, but Romanized foreigners. Well, when the Germanic tribe called the Franks began migrating to and resettling in Romano-Gallia, they called the region Walhalont, literally the land of Romanized foreigners, because that's exactly what it was. However, the word Walhalant doesn't sound anything like Gaul, so how did Walhalant produce the English word Gaul? Walhalant was borrowed from the Germanic Frankish language into Old French, and from Old French it passed into English. 
we're totally jumping the chronological gun here, as we haven't even gotten to the emergence of France yet, but there's no other way of explaining this other than moving ahead in the story a little bit. So, when Germanic words beginning with an initial W sound were borrowed into Old French, over time that W sound shifted to a hard G sound. For instance, the French word guerre and the English word war both derive from the same root, and they both mean the same thing, war. But the French derivative has a G due to this sound shift, while the English version retains the original W sound, since English is a Germanic language. This same sound shift shifted the W in Walholland to a G sound. If you take this sound shift into consideration and chop the ending off of Walholland, you can see how it could produce the word Gaul. What this means is that the name of Wales and Gaul, the historic predecessor to modern France, are cognate. Fascinating. Now, let's look at the historical circumstances under which that name Gaul fell into historical obscurity and was replaced by the name France. This story begins with that Germanic tribe that I mentioned a minute ago, the Franks. As you could probably guess, or perhaps already know, the Franks are ultimately the source of the name of France. The Franks first appear in the Roman written record during the 3rd century CE. According to the ancient sources, the Franks originally lived on the Lower and Middle Rhine River, just at the borders of the Roman Empire. At first, the Franks fought against the Romans as enemies, but after signing a peace treaty in 287, the Romans actually began hiring Frankish warriors to fight alongside them as allies in the Roman legions. In just a century, the Frankish mercenaries made up the largest non-Roman percentage of the Roman army. The role of the Franks in the Roman army is appropriate, as the tribal name Frank probably derives from the Proto-Germanic word Francon, which meant javelin or lance. So that's how the Franks come into the picture. Now, instead of getting into the nitty-gritty of Roman history, let's just say that from the 3rd century onwards, the Roman Empire wasn't doing great. Due to increasingly weak borders, economic instability, and incapable leadership, the Western Empire eventually collapsed. During the Roman Empire's period of decline, the Franks, on the contrary, grew stronger and stronger. In the 480s CE, a Frankish ruler named Clovis I fought against Romans and other Germanic tribes alike in order to conquer the region of Gaul. Clovis's success established a Frankish lineage of powerful rulers in Gaul for several centuries. When Clovis managed to take Gaul away from the Romans, that name Gaul didn't immediately go away. However, Gaul came to be known by another name as well. That new name was Francia. In Latin, Francia meant the land of the Franks, and during the Frankish Empire's peak expansion, Francia actually included much, much more than the modern nation of France. It also included northern Italy and much of Germany. In the 840s, Francia was divided into three separate kingdoms inherited by the three sons of Louis the Pious. These three kingdoms were Francia Occidentalis, or West Francia, Francia Media, or Middle Francia, and Francia Orientalis, or East Francia. 
Middle Francia fizzled out of existence within a decade, but Western Francia and Eastern Francia would go on to become the modern states of France and Germany, respectively. In other words, not only were France and Germany once ruled by a single dynasty, but at one point they also shared the same name, Francia. After a number of wars, treaties, and other historical events that are incredibly interesting but way beyond the scope of this podcast, East Francia eventually became the Holy Roman Empire, and with the Kingdom of East Francia off the map, there was no need to distinguish West Francia as such. West Francia merely became Francia, and this standalone name became the basis of the word for France in all of the Romance and Romance-influenced languages. However, in modern Germanic languages, aside from English, names for France are still based on the historical name of the Frankish kingdom, including the German word Frankenreich, literally the realm of the Franks. By the way, the reason why France is pronounced with a soft C is due to a sound change that took place in late and vulgar Latin. In short, when the letter C came before E's and I's, Latin speakers began softening its pronunciation to an S sound. This trend passed into the Romance languages, including French, and since English got the word for France from French itself, that soft C trend was carried over into English. Unlike English, the other Germanic languages are not influenced by this Romance language sound shift, and that's why the majority of Germanic words for France still preserve that hard C sound associated with the Franks. So that's the story of how Gaul became Francia, and how Francia became France. But as I stated at the beginning of this episode, our story doesn't end here. At this point, I want to look at a few words that actually derive from the word Francia. One of those words is frank, both the common adjective meaning an honest and direct manner of communicating, and the proper name. How could an adjective meaning honest and direct derive from the name of a nation? Simple. The Franks were the most honest and direct people the world has ever seen. Just kidding. The usage of frank as a common adjective actually dates back to medieval Latin, though at that time it meant something completely different. In that context, frank, or francus, literally meant free, at liberty, or exempt. This is because the Franks, as the ruling class of much of Western Europe, enjoyed privileges that other ethnic groups in Western Europe did not, such as the exemption from taxes. As a common noun, francus was virtually synonymous with freeman. By the time the word frank had passed from Old French into Middle English, it had gained a handful of new connotations. It could mean sincere, genuine, gracious, generous, worthy, noble, and illustrious. These are all glowingly positive characteristics, and this is probably a result of the Frankish elite's own view of themselves. However, if we take into consideration the entire range of meanings associated with the word free, including synonyms such as liberal, open, or uninhibited, we could see how the word frank might have developed in this direction, even if it hadn't derived from the name of an ethnic group who held power. In my view, the word's semantic evolution was probably influenced by both factors. The proper names Frank and Francis were originally both homages to Frankish heritage, 
while Franklin was originally an Anglo-Norman word used to describe a landowner who was not of noble birth. Eventually, this adjective Franklin was adopted as a last name. These various senses of the word Frank persisted in English up until around the mid-16th century. At this point, the word had developed a sense meaning outspoken, in which we can see the beginning of our modern sense of the word, sort of. If you are unrestricted or free with your speech, then you might be considered outspoken. For whatever reason, this newer meaning of Frank eclipsed the older meanings, and by the next century, it had come to mean an honest and direct form of speech, which is the sense of the word that we use today. Coincidentally, there's another English cognate of Frank that's related to speech and communication, and that's the Franca in lingua franca. A lingua franca is a bridge language that's used between two people who do not share a common native language. For example, English is a lingua franca in modern India. India has hundreds of native languages, many of which are mutually unintelligible, so if a Tamil-speaking person from the south wants to communicate with a Hindi-speaking person from the north, they could use English as a lingua franca. For those of you who might not know, English is actually one of the national languages of India. Anyway, the term lingua franca literally means the Frankish language, but it's in no way named after the language spoken by the Franks themselves. From the late Middle Ages to the 19th century, there was actually a distinct language called lingua franca that was used as the language of commerce and diplomacy throughout the Mediterranean. During most of this period, Italy dominated sea trade on the Mediterranean. These traders used a simplified form of northern Italian dialects, but over time, this dialect began incorporating loanwords from Greek, French, Spanish, Arabic, and Turkish, and a completely new hodgepodge of a language emerged. It was called the lingua franca, or the Frankish language, because from the eastern Mediterranean point of view, all Western Europeans were seen as Franks. Recall that during the Frankish Empire's greatest geographical extent, northern Italy, the region where the core of lingua franca came from, was in fact part of Francia. I've also seen lingua franca translated as the free language, suggesting a more generalized usage of franca. Semantically, this translation makes sense because a lingua franca can be used freely among various peoples and nations, but I think this is a coincidence. Like I said, many Eastern Mediterranean languages lumped all of Western Europe under the umbrella term Frankish, so I think that's what people of the time would have understood it to mean. Another modern English word derived from the Franks and Francia is franchise. This one has changed quite a bit over the years. When it first appeared in the written record during the 13th century, franchise meant a special right or privilege granted by the government. This obviously relates to the sense of frank meaning freedom. Similar to this definition, the word could also refer to a king's authority. By the 5th century, franchise came to refer to citizenship in a town or city. Indeed, citizenship is a form of freedom, as it grants an individual certain rights and privileges that a subjugated class might not have. From this usage came another sense meaning membership within a club or guild. The 15th century saw yet another development of the word which referred to the right to buy or sell. 
This sense is the basis of the word's main definition today, which refers to the authorization granted by a company allowing individuals to carry out business using that company's name. Basically, it's the thing that makes it possible for anybody to open up a Dunkin' Donuts or KFC as long as they can come up with the initial capital. There's another modern English sense of the word franchise that dates back to the 18th century, but it's a little more obscure. This sense refers to the right to vote, though we more often encounter it in the negative form, disenfranchisement. Disenfranchisement refers to the lack of voting rights, and often to the lack of rights in general. At a glance, the voting sense of franchise seems to have nothing to do with KFC and Dunkin' Donuts, but when you boil down both senses of franchise, they're both fundamentally concerned with the right to exert special privileges. One regards commercial business, and the other regards voting. As someone who occasionally burns incense, I can't help mentioning that the frank in frankincense also derives from the name of the franks. Frankincense is literally frank incense. In this context, frank originally would have been understood to mean noble and pure. In other words, of the highest quality. And while we're on the topic of other random words derived from the franks, let's not forget about frankfurter, an old-fashioned name for American hot dogs. Frankfurters are named after the German city of Frankfurt, which literally means the furt, or in English, the ford of the Franks. All right, that's it for our proper place name series. On to something new next time. Again, if you want to help support the show, patreon.com slash wordsforgranted is the way to do it. If that's not in your budget, but you still want to show your support, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast directory of choice. Those reviews really help the show grow more than you might expect. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. Just search at Words for Granted. And if you have comments, questions, or concerns about the show, feel free to email me at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.